Welcome back to another edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Niatawa, joined by Sam McEwen. There's plenty to get to. Lots of headlines. We can talk recruiting, um, impressive performances in practice by a few Nebraska players, the excitement of the season uh, for the Jays. The Nebraska Creighton game has been announced December 11th. That's on the books. Uh, but I think we probably have to start with the news of the day, and that is on Thursday, Creighton its basketball program announced that there have been multiple positive tests and the Jays are in shutdown mode. The first three games of the season are canceled and um, we're kind of in wait and see mode to see what happens. And I'll, I'll get to Sioux Falls. I'm sorry. I'm not, I know I'm, I'm not going to get, I, I actually have never been to South Dakota, lived in Nebraska for like 11 years and never made the trip up North. So I was looking forward to it, even though it was like the hot spot for the virus in the United States at the moment, but I wanted to see the scene. I wanted to see what it was like. And, and I know the event organizers had done a lot to uh, kind of bubble up the tournament setting a little bit. And they, they, they had a lot of plans for the court. And I was kind of curious to see what the Pentagon looked like in the middle of a pandemic, but not going to get that chance. Um, I'm going to get into the nitty gritty with Creighton, but Sam, I just was kind of curious. What, you're the guy, you're a guy who's covered one sport in sort of a chaotic scene or, or a, chaotic experience that college football has dealt with disruption since it began and multiple start times for different conferences and different teams. Um, so teams are playing each other with two games under their belt or ze- versus what, another team that has zero. Um, and, you know, you're prepping for a game and all of a sudden it gets canceled. So that's going to be the setup for college f- basketball. It's going to mimic what college football has dealt with. And I just wonder what your impression of, that season has been and what you think maybe might be different or better or worse in college basketball is, you know, the season now is, uh, what, five days away, the start of it. So the one thing that I think you'll see is that in college football, teams have been having to put out fires all year. And by fires, I mean COVID-19 positive cases. And so there's teams that have like Kansas state, Kansas state started the year, with all kinds of cases early, you know, back in when the season began and they're back down again uh, to a a low number of players, Mississippi States battling through that and has for a while. Um, I think in college basketball, there's going to be one big fire per team and once out they'll play because, you know, you're you're probably going to get most of the guys are going to kind of get it. And then, and then they're going to be out for a couple of weeks and then you're going to move forward. Um, that would be what I would think would happen. But I also expect more teams to have fires. And by that, I mean, there's teams that have been able to play all season and we really don't know how many cases they've had. Um, You know, there's, there's been, uh, I think Clemson has played every game that they were supposed to play. For example, Um, there hasn't been any cancellations there, maybe like Boston college, NC state, um, because they haven't gone dipped below, you know, the number. And I think in college basketball, when you have four guys get it, I mean, how can you play, especially when it's you know, four starters? Um, that makes it really hard. So I think that's probably the biggest thing or biggest change. Um, it does seem like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow uh, in college basketball is all the same. It's the same for everybody. It's the NCAA tournament. The NCAA is controlling that. Um, and that can be a good and bad thing um, because, you know, the NCAA is ultimately going to err on the side of, of great, abundant caution Whereas the college football playoffs probably just going to happen, you know, they're going to, they'll have, they'll do whatever they got to do, but they'll make it work. 
And so I think that's probably the other concern is that the NCAA is just going to take, I mean, for now we know they're going to do it in the state of Indiana, your old stomping grounds. And they're going to do it in Indianapolis. And I, I wouldn't surprise me if they played games at Mackey Arena and Assembly Hall and and other places. But, yeah, absolutely, obviously there. Yeah. Um, but how many teams will it be? You know, will it be will it be sixty four? Will it be thirty two? Sixty eight. Um, the the traditional amount with the play in games. Like, do you have play in games that doesn't right. seem do to you, even make do you sense? Need them? Do you really it need does. Them? those extra teams for an extra couple days right it kind of feels like sam that the ncaa sort of is on a train to the tournament like it's the train has left this or it's gonna leave the station november 25th on wednesday when the season starts and it's going and if you are lucky enough to hang on maybe you hop off for a little bit but you can get back on like great but i don't think it's it seems like the ncaa is doing nothing to slow that train down or to stop it like it's starting and it's ending in Indianapolis. And if you can get there, great. But the NCAA is sort of like, look, we need to have this event at it during that window, if at all possible during March, the traditional window for March madness. So come with us if you can, if not, sorry, we'll see you next year. That's what it seems like anyway. Pretty much. And they want to be able to control the environment and make sure that the testing is everything they want it to be. And, I'm sure there's some of these places where they're going to have it would do just a perfectly fine job of keeping everything safe, but, um, but that's the way they want to do it. And I guess I understand that. And uh, yeah, and they may, but they may not do it for the women, which is weird because that means the NCAA would have to trust another city to conduct the whole event because they can't do the men's and women's tournament at the same time. That's the same city. So they'd have to do it. They'd have to trust some other city to do that. And I don't know that the NCAA wants to do that. So it's kind of an interesting situation, but I I think, I think college basketball is going to have a lot of interruptions. Um, I think most teams will have games they miss eventually sooner or later, it's going to happen. But I think, I think more, but everybody's kind of starting at the same time and you know, you're gonna get your you're gonna get a lot of your big games in and it'll feel a little bit it'll feel a little bit different because the conferences are all on the same page. And so that part's well, that part is they're close on the same page. I don't know if yeah, they're necessarily closer, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, at least they, they plan to start at the same time or around the same date. I mean the um, big our, football started in like September fourth and Utah hasn't still played yet. So it's like, you know, that's good. It's good that basketball have a more cl- and more clarity that way. Right. Remember though, that the Ivy League isn't playing, and I know the Ivy League's different. Um, and I think maybe the Patriot League isn't doing non-conference, and the Pac-12s moved up its non or its conference play so early that it's essentially wiped out conference play. So there's a little bit of difference between leagues, but certainly like the there's more synergy, and I think that probably is, you know, the the, the byproduct of having the NCAA tournament at the end and this sport obviously knows what it was like to not have that event last year it was canceled and I think that a lot of people who are involved with it certainly at the NCAA level understand how important it is to 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 host and have it but college basketball coaches players administrators like they want to see it happen again too so um I definitely get that all right with Creighton here's the latest it's the Jays have multiple positive tests on their team within their program the NCAA classifies um, sort of that inner bubble within a team as tier one. 
that's players and anyone who has direct contact with players. So coaches, athletic trainers, equipment staffers that teams try to keep that as small as possible, but we're still talking about what, like, uh, 30 people, maybe something around that, that range, 25, 30 people. So multiple positive tests within that group. And that triggers a, an immediate shutdown. And Creighton has since decided to withdraw from its opening season tournament in, in Sioux Falls. Those three games are canceled. And then we'll kind of see what happens from, from here. Now the NCAA recommendations, like the big East has said that it, it's going to follow the NCAA guidelines. Um, so what the NCAA says is that once you have positive tests in your tier one group, you stop everything and you start contact tracing and, um, you can use practice video, um, obviously personal accounts. Um, Creighton has data athlete, athlete data tracking software or, or athlete workload tracking software, whatever you want to call it, that, um, can monitor how close individuals are. Uh, on the court and how much time they spend within a close distance. I think the CDC guidelines are six feet. If you're within six feet for 15 minutes or more, that can, that's considered close contact uh, to someone who tests positive. So they have to go through like two or three days worth of this, of these sort of data points and assess, okay, who was po- who tested positive and who was close to that person who tested positive. Um, so again, we don't know how many people tested positive, if how many players, how many, staffers but um at this point that's what's going on and um when the jays find an answer to that then we'll find out how soon they can get back on the court it it could be within a week or 10 days and maybe if the results of that contact tracing analysis are inconclusive or if they are alarming to where it's like uh oh everybody's got to be isolated then uh, it would be 14 days um and the NCAA rules also, I think they say if, if you're asymptomatic, you test positive, you, you're out for 10 days, and then you, you can return. Um, if you have symptoms, you're out until the symptoms go away. And so um, that's sort of where it stands. And like I said, the Creighton and the Big East schools have followed the NCAA recommendations as almost as if they are mandates to this point. Creighton is the seventh Big East school to have a shutdown. Certainly the sixth Big East school to have a shutdown in the last two months. Um, reportedly, Xavier had one as well at some unknown point in time, and we don't know how long it was. But uh, DePaul announced on Thursday that it's shut down. Seton Hall still shut down. UConn just returned to practice on Thursday. So uh, the Big East is certainly dealing with, with it. Creighton's not alone. The rest of the country, I mean, a lot of programs are dealing with it. But, uh, but yeah. It's obviously a disappointing start to the season for the Jays. They will hope to, to get on the court on Wednesday, but uh, it's not going to happen. And like you said, Sam, it's it just seems like it's inevitable that every team is going to deal with it. And you hope that um, if you're Creighton, this is the only time this year that you do have to deal with a, a, a pause in action like this. The battle for Atlantis that Creighton was initially, originally a part of obviously changed when they moved it to Sioux Falls, but it's no longer the same tournament that they even joined in Sioux Falls. Like they weren't playing the same caliber of teams. No, no, no. It, it, really, the 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 game that I had circled, you know, may not have even happened. By the way, since they were on the opposite side of the bracket, but Creighton, West Virginia, was going to be sort of the highlight of the weekend if that indeed happened on the Friday for the championship of that event. But yeah, Duke 
dropped out. They replaced Duke with Dayton, which I thought was a good get, but then Dayton dropped out and Ohio State dropped out. Both of those schools dropped out because of Ohio State's quarantine rules. Um, if, if you go to a state with a positivity rate at a certain level, then you have to quarantine for 14 days and they couldn't get an exception for that. So they had to drop out. Um, Utah dropped out because of, of COVID-19 rates and worry, worried about it being too close to the start of conference play. So it ended up looking like a bracket buster, man. They had like South Dakota State and Northern Iowa. It was like a Missouri Valley Conference reunion plus, you know, so Utah State, St. Mary's. I mean, it it was actually – and obviously Creighton and Wichita State. Like it was – it had some compelling matchups for, I feel like, long-time uh, fans of mid-major ball. Mm-hmm. But – uh yeah, it's not going to happen. At least for Creighton, it's not going to happen. I mean, things still going on. We'll see if they can replace Creighton in such a short amount of time. Like, they found Northern Iowa pretty quickly. At the, what Northern Iowa was set to go into Nebraska to Lincoln, and then and then went up there. Yeah. But uh, and now yeah, St. Louis has uh, is going to drop out of the Golden Window. Is it? Yeah, I just well, the, the guy that always re- reports this stuff uh, for CBS Sports just reported that St. Louis is going to drop out. The golden window at one time was going to be pretty good. It was going to have LSU and Oklahoma State. They were angling on some other really high-level teams. They, they thought they might get Kansas State at one time. And it has obviously dwindled down to this very different kind of thing. Any more opt-outs, and it might be a closed window. And uh, so anyway, St. Louis – is so St. Out. Louis is out. St. Louis is out, which I was so intrigued. Not because they have cases. They're just going to play their games. They're like, oh, we're just going to play some games in St. Louis. <laughs> okay. So they're just not, they don't want to, I guess they don't want to come up here. I don't know. So it's just that, let's see. Instead, play games at home during the first week of the season due to COVID 19. <laughs> all right. Well, what do you think that means for Nebraska's schedule then? They'll play somebody else. Maybe, we might, I tell you what, we're getting closer and closer to this being a Shadron State experience. Hmm. Let me tell you. <laughs> you you're pretty convinced though that Nebraska will get its well at the at the moment Nebraska just announced its schedule, its non conference schedules yep. on Thursday. It's got six home games. Yep. Plus There's other teams uh, that can play up there. If St. Louis drops out, let me let me see who Elevate Hoops had St. Louis playing otherwise, because you can just pair the let me see here. Um St. Louis was going to play. That kind of bums me, man, because I thought St. Cool. St. Louis is a good team. They are. Probably, probably the best team in that golden window, honestly, just based on. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you don't know what LSU is going to do. But... Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot about LSU. Uh, so let's see here. So, oh, oh, they may have to play LSU, Sam. They might. Let's see who Let's see who St. Louis was also scheduled to play. They were scheduled to play LSU. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Nebraska will We'll play LSU, uh, you know, or they'll probably move it around. So LSU is supposed to play Western Kentucky on uh, that Thursday, and I, mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll figure it out one way or the right. one way or the other. Well, what do you think? I guess we could talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, this that's this is this is what the season's going to be. I mean, like teams are going to reshuffle and change schedules on the fly, and and whatever is announced. As, as a plan, will it's written in pencil. So if you're a college basketball fan, just get ready for uh, sort of constant upheaval and not necessarily knowing for certain what's next. And that that's not just that's that's schedule. That's you know lineups. It's 
action on the court. Like we haven't even gotten really to th- talk or think about what could happen on the floor. And and when you look at college football, how crazy some of the results have been and unpredictable as teams deal with sort of the mental anguish that comes with a pandemic that we've all kind of dealt with. So this season's going to be wild. <laughs> That's it. Um, well, it's, yeah, it, it is. I mean, again, Nebraska's only had two positive cases, John. So it's possible that somewhere along the way during the course of the season, they're going to have a, they're going to have a they're going to have a burn situation where they have a they got to shut it down, and they're doing everything they can. I mean, Nebraska's internal protocol system is pretty strong. Uh, they worked with UNMC on that. Um, I think obviously the football team is doing the antigen tests all the time. And I think the basketball team is doing those now too, because they have to, but the internal protocol has been always pretty good too. I mean, they're doing the PCRs, which don't produce false positive and don't produce as many false negatives. I think that's good. And so they're doing PCR testing and you know, they're, they, they, they've, they've been able to control it to some degree. The women's basketball team has been hit really hard. Um, and I, a lot of the players have gotten it. Um, yeah. So they're not likely to have to shut down, but that is absolutely gutted their tra- their practices because they've had times when they've only had six players in practice. And Amy's had a mask up the whole time, so Amy's been pretty Amy's been pretty proactive in that. But um, Nebraska's done a pretty good job, I think. We well, don't, as, get- yeah, but yeah. right. But as Fred Horberg said in his press conference this week, was like, "Look, my my buddy Tom Izzo." contracted the virus and he's as careful as anyone no question so we're at the point now in a lot of communities where as careful as you are like you could do everything right that the experts say um you could still end up testing positive it's just it the the virus is what you get from your family yeah bottom right. line I mean, fred's still got i think fred's still got kids at home right i think he does maybe i'm not which i mean you know you, 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 that's how it happens. You get it from you get it from your family. I mean, I know enough people within the health department down here, or just people that I know. And informal gatherings are, you know, somewhat of the cause of this. It isn't just going to a bar and and not having a mask. That's not good either. But informal gatherings in people's homes hard hard to enforce. Like it's just, and they're like small contact pieces, you know. I have a 12 year old daughter. It's a pain in the rear having to wrangle that kid every day after school and like, make sure she doesn't have, you can't go over to these kids houses right now. You can't do that. Well, I was doing it two months ago. Well, you're not doing it now. Like we're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Every family's facing that. And that's, what's hard is these coaches. A lot of these coaches have kids like high school kids, you know, cause they're of that age. They're in their forties, fifties. They usually have some older children, high school kid age. Well, good luck trying to manage that. You can't, you don't know what, what, what that situation brings. So I'm guessing that somewhat, somehow, some way it's going to sneak into a lot of programs, unfortunately. Yep. And it already has. Um, well, on a positive note, Nebraska and Creighton have agreed to schedule their, their game this year. That was sort of the uh, last piece of the schedule for Creighton um, in the non-conference. Mm-hmm. December 11th in Omaha, it sounds like the two schools avoided any sort of public bashing that other rivals have experienced. Um, Xavier, Cincinnati, 
Kentucky yeah. Louisville. Louisville. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious that like it, it makes sense to come to some sort of compromise just because that game is a big ticket game at Creighton and at Nebraska. And to just lose out on it for a year because of uncontrollable controllable circumstances doesn't seem fair. So the result was, hey, we're going to put a press pause on our yearly home home and away schedule routine and just say it's essentially a neutral site game this year. I mean, it is in Omaha. I guess that's kind of part of the compromise that Creighton gets played on its home court, but most likely there aren't going to be fans in the stands. Creighton's not opening the season with fans in its arena. Um, it hopes to at some point maybe have fans, but by December 11th, I don't know. Um, so, you know, like that, I'm happy they found a way to get it done. That's good. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of would have been fun though, to have Fred and Fred and Greg are, are, they're, they're nice guys, man. They like each other. They like their families like each other. So then they go, the relationship goes way back to back when Greg was the head coach at Iowa state and Fred Hoiberg was the Ames legend, uh, hanging, like just being there as they, they like each other. So we're not going to get, um, Greg McDermott, McDermott recording some, uh, passive aggressive video on Twitter and sending it out or, or, uh, (laughs) some sort of like tweet or social media response. We're not going to get that battle, which is, it's fine, but uh, I think least, the game is still going to mean more to Creighton, and I don't mean that as a knock to Nebraska, but a lot of these kids are new to Nebraska. I mean, they don't even. Does that make sense? This year, yeah, this year, not not long term, but I mean, you got to have guys kind of stick around and and feel the sting of the thing. And I think you know, I mean, some, I mean, Mitch Ballack's been through three of these, so mm-hmm. right, yeah, Ballack, sorry, um, or however you say it. And you know the only, Thor is the only one who's I really tasted the rivalry at any length of time that's on the roster. I mean, they only bring back three guys, <laughs> so I'm doing the returning you know points per game and over, and it's it's Thor, Ivan Udrago, and Akola Rope, and that's it. That's the whole list mm. for every category. <laughs> because the other guys either sat out or they're brand new. I mean, Teddy Allen will probably bring some heat to it because Teddy knows Teddy knows about the rivalry having lived around here. But yeah. um, you know, I think it's going to take Nebraska time to really, you know, this group that they've got now is going to be together. I think a little bit longer than <laughs> the first Hoiberg excursion. Those guys were not 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 for long. And, you know, I'm sure by the end of the first half of last year's Nebraska Creighton game, John, it was evident to you there would be changes to the roster going forward for Nebraska. Oh, there's no question. (laughs) You must have watched that and been like, what is this? (laughs) These guys aren't going to be here next year. (laughs) I I actually might have had that that comment to Chris. Chris is sitting next to me, Chris Hetty, former World Herald. (laughs) Reporter, I might have said something along those lines, like how many of these dudes are playing next year? <laughs> it wasn't going to be. But I think – so I watched the game on TV, but one of the things that I saw in the game, I'm watching it, I'm like, ooh, Creighton wants this game more than Nebraska does. Like Nebraska's just kind of out there, kind of going through the motions. <laughs> and, you know, the year before, when Nebraska finally beat Creighton after like seven years or whatever, you could tell that Nebraska really wanted it. 
because the players on the floor had been through it. Um, yeah. Glenn Watson lost three in a row, and and um, you know so there was there was some fire to that. Isaiah Roby had lost a bunch, so you could tell that they wanted that. And I think Nebraska is still kind of learning. Um, you know, it takes time with players to build anger and rivalry and bitterness and spite. And uh, that's not always easy to, easy to generate. That game, that game, uh, just as an aside was actually one of the turning points for Creighton. This, this young group that's now old or, or this, this group that's now together and older when it was younger going to Lincoln and losing that badly. They had a week off between their next game and Nebraska and they really hit it hard on the practice floor. And a lot of the things that they worked on were, you know, some of the things that, that the reasons why Nebraska won, as you said, the amount of effort that they showed when they played diving after loose balls, wanting it more. They had, they, they had a lot of drill work to emphasize that. And, and it's not like the, the change happened overnight, but it was kind of the starting point of, you know, once you saw Creighton play last year, you realize, Oh yeah. Like, they do have it in them, that kind of grit and tenacity. They can win games ugly if they need to. They're going to outwork you. I mean, they outworked 95% of the opponents they played last year. Um, they were smaller, but they were tough. And a lot of the sort of genesis of that mentality actually started in Lincoln. So I guess how, I can credit um, the rival for that. Question for you. Um, how uh, is this? Is this a top 15 team? I think so. Yeah, I think so. They've got, um, they've got one of the best players in the country. Um, they've got experience. Um, they get, they have all the pieces that they that they need to play their offense the way they wanted to. Like they were third in the country in offensive efficiency last year, or adjusted offensive efficiency. Like why they could do that again? Um, it's certain there's there's really no reason why they wouldn't be able to. Maybe they don't have as you know, Tyson Alexander was what like forty percent from three, so. Um, they won't have him and, and his efficient scoring ability, but, uh, they'll, they'll replace him with maybe some more weapons inside and have a little bit more, uh, easy, an easier time to get high percentage twos. And that'll increase their efficiency a little bit more, maybe open some things up on the perimeter. So yeah, to me, man, like there's, there's some questions on defense. Like, again, they're going to have more size, so that'll help them with rim protection and, and, maybe take some pressure off those guards in terms of one-on-one on-ball on-ball de- defense. But uh, when you bring back six of your top eight rotation players, I mean, that's – this year's a little bit different because there's probably a handful of teams that were ranked in the top 25 last year that are doing that. But typically, a top 10 team rarely has that much experience brought back in college basketball. Because if you're a top 10 team, you're good and your players are good and they're thinking – let me use this opportunity on the big stage to 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 go pro, and uh, and and typically you don't have that much firepower coming back. And so the Jays are one again one of a handful of teams this year that do like Baylor, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Illinois. Oh, they're better. Um, Creighton's better in Wisconsin. Wisconsin did that with smoke and mirrors. And sure, like, sure. But what I'm saying is they're bringing back a lot, and and yeah. where they finished last year compared to and what they're bringing back. I'm just saying that for, that that little blueprint. Yeah. Um, Creighton is one of the few teams that has that, and so um, again, that I've said this before, they're going to look different. They're probably not going to play small ball as often, um, but they'll have a little bit more traditional lineup, and I think you'll see the return of that 
the ball screen sort of roll to the rim, pressure on the rim with with their big guys, um, opening things up on the perimeter as well. So, um, yeah, man, they're I in my mind, I think they're a top ten top top ten team. Um, I think well, they're they, better than Wisconsin. I know that. Yeah, um, I don't know how Wisconsin ended up. Well, I know they, what they did. They last got year. hot. Yeah, they got hot at the end. Um, but no, like I think that they've got. It, to me, like I have a hard time coming up with reasons why they can't replicate what they did last year. And so they were top ten team last year that shared the Big East title. Um, you know, all these guys within the program are going to improve, and while they lose a Tyson Alexander, they add Antoine Jones, versatile transfer from Memphis. They got Ryan Kaufbrenner, a freshman who's really impressed the preseason camp. Jacob Epperson's coming back off injury. You know, Sharif Mitchell's going to be better. Uh, Marcus Sigurowski is going to be improved. Mitch Ballack, I mean, the wings, Denzel Mahoney and, and Damian Jefferson are, are going to elevate their games as well. So, yeah, I got them as a top 10 team, actually, Sam. Yeah. I, I, that's where I would slot them going into the year. So it's a lot of excitement, man. And, and I think that um, they're eager to kind of see where they're at. And we'll find that out. I mean, to me, to me, the, the most interesting the most interesting piece is uh, is uh, is Antoine Jones because you know he's not necessarily like a score first guy, but he can do so many different things. Can they find his? Can they identify what his role is? One of the things that Creighton was so good at last year um, was each guy figured out rather quickly. All right, this is what I need to do to help the team win. And uh, I think I, I just chatted with Damian Jefferson a couple of days ago, and he he phrased it as we were all stars in our role. So each guy knew exactly what he needed to contribute and they were comfortable with that. Can they replicate that again this year? And a guy like Antoine Jones, I focus on him because um, again, he can do a lot of different things. He's versatile. He can play one through four, but what are they going to need from him? I don't even know if I, I know the answer to that at this moment. Um, You know, probably, his length on defense and his playmaking ability on offense generally, but what exactly do they need from him and how can he, um, you know, deliver on that will be, will be important because the other guys like Christian Bishop, Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, they realized last year what they need to do. It's they're just going to kind of like extend it, you know, maybe add on a little bit because they, there needs to be a little bit more scoring. There's some more shots to go around, but they know what they need to bring. Antoine Jones, what does he do? What does he do? How does he contribute? I think that that to me is a he's kind of the X factor for me. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Who's, they, the X, who's the X factor on Nebraska squad, Sam? Latman. Yeah. Latman is. Um, and and the I, reason I say that, you can define X factor as the guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. I don't know if that's Lat, but he is the guy that if if he is as good as they think he is, and he hits and he can shoot the three pointer at the at the rate they say he is then they're they're a better team he's a six foot nine guy and if he's that good of a three-point shooter if he can hit 40 percent of his three-pointers um he'd be a tough guard and that makes him a better team so did any any we heard about his his shooting and in, in sort of drill work mm-hmm. he's impressed there a couple times i think fred hoiberg's mentioned his marksmanship Yep. Did he stand out in the scrimmage, or was it was the scrimmage all about Teddy Allen? 
Well, now, we don't really know much. I mean, we didn't get to see any of the scrimmage. I am familiar with the statistics from the scrimmage, though, uh, which I don't know if anyone else is, but I am. Well, one of the things about – Let's see what Lat did in that game. Let's well, see. I was going to say one of the things about statistics and scrimmages is that those guys actually do play like 40 minutes, which they will they never do. do in a game because you split the roster in half. Yep. So, like – maybe 38 minutes or whatever, you know, so like everyone is playing way more than they do. So the stats are elevated. I remember last year Creighton had an inter-squad inter scrimmage and I came out reporting that I think there was like six dudes who were 17 points or more and everyone's like, whoa, man, this seems awesome. I was like, well, hold on. Who else is going to score? They got to get to the number. But yeah, me, anyway. me and, uh, me and um, he took – he took nine trios and he made two. So I don't. And that's a game, you know. You don't know. It's I one think. Day. You know, yes, yeah. Uh, certainly, he's going to be counted on to score. Teddy Allen is is a dynamic player. Uh, he can do a lot of things. The thing about Teddy that's really good is is he can he can get to the rim and he can draw fouls. Um, I think um, that's an underrated ability. If you can draw fouls and make your free throws and then sometimes finish, you know, through the foul, um, I mean, you're just, you're just hurting a team in a bunch of different ways because you're, you're putting fouls on them and you're putting their coach in a bind, all that. So he can do that. Uh, man is obviously an X factor if he can hit the three-pointer. Let's say he is, again, 30, even 35%. I mean, that changes you in a good way. Um, McGowan's is, is going to be a good player here. You know, uh, he's gritty. He's tough. Um, he started for two seasons at Pittsburgh. He knows how to play big time basketball. Um, he probably doesn't have to score quite as much at Nebraska as I think he was at Pittsburgh. I think he was a double digit scorer there, but he'll be able to play a lot of defense and he'll be able to, you know, he's just tough. And so I like that addition a lot. It's been underrated. Kobe Webster is really small. Um, I mean, he's six foot, which in college basketball is pretty small. But he's fast, and I think he can kind of – he can run the offense at a very fast pace. And so I think whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, I think people can envision a guy – let's say he does come off the bench six, seven minutes into the game. You're not – there's no drop-off there. There's no – you know, you want to start Trey McGowan, so that's fine. You can do that. You're going to get a nice defensive boost at the start of the game. You bring in, you bring in Webster, and he's flying around. And he, he can move, and he can, he can really scoot. He can shoot the three pretty well. And that's almost like a whole different, you know, that they might be able to go to a different gear when he's on the floor. So that's a nice, that's a nice curveball to have. Um, those, those are the names that jump out. Oh, and Delano Benton, who, you know, is, we'll have to see. I don't know how to, I don't know how, what kind of game he's going to bring to the court. He's 6'9", he's 205, and he's a point guard. And he's not a, he's not a big time three point shooter. He's, he's a get to the rim. Um, he, he's got a nice, he gets there nice, he works hard. That's what's scary to me a little bit about his game is just 6'9". If, you, if you're not able to get that, for, for teams to respect that jump shot, they can put quicker guards on you yes. to kind of neutralize your game a little bit to def defensively, and they don't have to worry about, well, he'll shoot over you, he's, but mm -hmm. if he doesn't consistently hit that shot. It's just hard to know. Yeah, it's, no, that's, that's right. It's hard to tell, hard to know. Like, so is that so? Wait, let me let me see here. Mayan, McGowan's, Allen, mm -hmm. 
Stanton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ivan. Who, Ivan, that's the five. Maybe five but, guy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll be really interested to see how they how they roll it out uh, in that opening opening game against McNeese State because again, it could be Kobe Webster. Like you don't, I, yeah. you know. I mean, we we always get enamored by the starting lineups, but I mean, a lot of times, right? Creighton, you know, with Creighton, they ended the game with five guards, and that was kind of their go to finishing close it out lineup. So that that could happen. Like I, I, I think somewhere in there, Ivan's going to have definitely a role. I think the role is, you know, maybe grows in the Big Ten when you must have, you cannot, you really can't guard Luca Garza with Delano Ban. Like you have to, you have to have a, a man in there. Ivan is that, or a, you know, Eduardo Andre, who is you know an interesting player. He's huge. He's a huge guy. Big wingspan, six ten, but he's he's not. Like he's wingspan seven four, big guy, big big hands, uh, you know, just big guy. So they could use him. Um, you know, Shamil Stevenson uh, is a guy that people will forget, but he's a he he can fill in some blanks for him. Derek Walker's a post who I think is going to be you know who he'll, he'll know his role, and it's not going to be to score. Um, he'll be you know muscle inside rebounding. I was just doing the the roster guys today, but I mean, that's a lot of it. Um, I know I'm, I know I'm forgetting somebody in, 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 Oh, Thor and Thor could start. I mean, he could certainly the great thing about starting Thor is that Thor knows everything it needs to be known and he plays hard. And so he sets, he sets a good tone early and he can shoot Sam can shoot. He can't, he's, he's proven that at least that, that that's valuable. So it could be Teddy, Delano, Trey, Lat, Thor, or you could you could put in you could put in Ivan, or you could put in Kobe Webster for for Trey McAllen's, um, or you could put in Shamil Stevenson if you wanted to, you know, for some reason. Like, but I, I feel pretty good about about it being Delane, uh, Banton, McAllen's, Mayan, and uh, Teddy Allen. Although Webster's right there too, it's, it's just hard to tell the, the, what the, they do. Right the the tough part about this Nebraska basketball season is just that, and we kind of briefly touched on it. The Big Ten is so good that it's really going to be hard to get an accurate read of where they're at because the league is. I mean, uh, let me ask you this, Sam: If I gave you, I know COVID messes this this whole scenario up, but let's say the NCAA tournament goes off COVID free. If I gave you the field, are you taking the field or, or a big 10 team to win the national title? The field. I'm going to take the field. Is that just because the big 10 hasn't won a national title since uh, <laughs> Michigan State? No, it's two thousand. The, the very best team in the big 10 is most likely Iowa or Illinois. And I think they're going to fall short of a national title. That's my answer. Okay. Um, if you put if you put Illinois players on Michigan State's team and you gave them Tom Izzo as a coach, I'd pick Michigan State. But I I don't know that Brad Underwood is going to deliver a national championship. Hmm. And I think um, Iowa's players are really good. I, I, there's something about Iowa where they get in big games. They have to prove that they won't choke, and they have. I mean, they've choked numerous times in the last five or six years and games they had to win and they didn't win. 
Yeah, they they're not they haven't been a good February and March team. Damn. You know, sort of end of the season, finishing it out strong. Uh, they've a lot of times started well. So in three years, if Juwan Howard's still there, or maybe even if he isn't, Michigan's going to be a national title contender. The recruiting's been really good. You know, Juwan Howard could go to the NBA if he wants. Um, he may not want to right away. He may want to see this recruiting class through. They got a great one, uh, or he could leave and they bring back Beeline. I don't know. I don't, you know, like, but Michigan's got great players coming through the, through the pipeline and uh, they're going to, they're going to be the dominant team in this league very, very soon. Um, if, if, you know, if, if they can, if they can keep everybody healthy in there. So look out, Michigan's coming back. They're going to be good. And they were good when Beeline was there, obviously. I mean, they, they went to two final fours in the last 10 years. You played you two wrote, national championship games. So you, you wrote this, I think, in in your breakdown of the big Big Ten schedule that Nebraska has, the slate that it's gonna try to work its way through that what the Big Ten has six or seven teams ranked in the top twenty five. Seven. Yeah, and, and those and two two of the teams that aren't ranked are Indiana and Purdue. <laughs> right. Sort of traditional top of the conference teams. Yep. So that's nine. <laughs> you know, like uh it's going to be really challenging, and, and especially to start the year. What, why do you think the Big Ten has has risen? I don't know if you, you've you know you just stepped on the under the beat here, but yeah. uh, well, I think so. You always, a, you know, if you go back ten years, I mean, I, I I'm a Big Ten guy. I grew up loving Big Ten basketball, but I really had to fight to find sort of debate talking points. That where I could say like the Big Ten's holding its own, right? Compared to the rest of the country or the top conferences in the country, like it wasn't at the Big East level, it wasn't at the ACC as much as I wanted it to be. But like the like last year and this year, Big Ten's the best basketball conference in the country, and it's not really close. What has changed, you think? If you're talking top to bottom, yes. Yeah, I'm talking top top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, Occam's razor is some of it, right? So, like, the, the simplest explanation is they got good players and they've retained them at schools that don't always get that, like Iowa and Illinois. So, Luca Garza was not, you know, five years ago, nobody knew who Luca Garza was, and he's been good. And they kept him, you know. Um, obviously, Luca understands that he, 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 he's a different player in the NBA than he is in college, so he's going he's gonna to play it out. Um, keeping Iowa at Illinois was a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think there's some guys that probably would have went into previous NBA drafts that didn't this year because of all the uncertainty, and rightly so. I mean, I think the NBA draft, the first round of it, was just sort of a mixture of I, I don't know. I, I didn't get the sense that there was a teams with a lot of teams with a ton of plans, uh, at least in the first round. And so, you know, I, I think there's um, there's that. I, I think that the quality of the coaching is up. Obviously, Brad Underwood's a good coach. I mean, he won a lot at Stephen F. Austin. Uh, so he's he's a tough guy to kind of get your arms around. Northwestern kept Chris Collins. You know, so they always give you a good look. And I think over time, it's just the quality of the coaching. Um, the fact that there are players who probably aren't NBA players or super, NBA superstars, but are good college players that stick around mm. and they make the league better. Um, and it's not a, you know, it's not, it's not a superstar league. Like it's, I think the PAC 12 had, I don't know, six or seven first rounders or whatever it was. And 
the Big Ten didn't have that. So I think that's part of it. You know, the best player in the Big Ten last year, Cassius Winston, went in the second round, right? 53rd, 54th. Yep. There you go. I mean, I think that's that's part of it. Um, now, now again, Jawan Howard is going to change the conversation because they have, I don't even know, two or three one-and-dones coming into their program next year. And Nebraska has a two-and-done. I don't know. Maybe he's a one-and-done. Um, but Bryce McGowan's is, is you know, a, a legitimate – superstar style player that um, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin don't have. But, you know, Wisconsin didn't get Tyler Hero. I mean, he went to, he went to Kentucky and um, so on and so forth. I mean, imagine how good Wisconsin would have been last year if they got him and they didn't get him. So Yeah, it's interesting how, how you would think one player could really change the makeup of your team in basketball like you're like oh just get it gets one or two guys and mm-hmm. we're we're totally different but you know anthony edwards played at georgia georgia wasn't going to the NCAA tournament last year ben simmons played at lsu they were, were they yeah ben simmons played at lsu markel Fultz was at washington like they, there have been stars of well potential stars top tier yeah. recruits uh yeah. high-end draft picks at various places across college basketball that hasn't, they have not changed the profile of a program. It's, it's interesting. I, it takes more than that. I think if I'm talking specifically about Nebraska, they have more. Um, and I, I, you know, Fred Hoiberg has obviously got a proven track record, so you know, he'll get the best out of his guys, but I've, I've just following college basketball a little bit, certainly looking at the draft, you're thinking like, man, why weren't some of these teams better <laughs> with all the talent they have now a lot of these picks are based on potential and where they're at today is not where they're going to be at in three years four years you know with tyler hero he he's far improved today than he was when he was at kentucky but it does make you wonder a little bit about talent accumulation and how important is it to get you know the guys that just because NBA scouts are drooling over a guy doesn't mean that you as a college program need to get him because you can find maybe somebody who's a little bit under the radar that'll be in your program for four years. That's going to be a great college player. Yeah. And um, I think the big Ten's kind of followed that formula for the most part. And so is the big East actually. I think the big East had one draft pick last year and two this year. Um, but it, a ton of great players for, I mean, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, Tyshawn Alexander were three guys that went undrafted and they had, you know, legendary big careers. Yeah. Careers. So, so let me, it, let me ask college you basketball here. is changing a little bit. It's, it's weird the, the way that is, but, um, cause you're an NBA guy, right? You yeah, love like, yeah. And I like it. I don't love it, but it's my view that the NBA is so talented at this point that you're almost getting to the point where there's not a lot of room. Like guys are healthy. So long as guys are healthy and they stay in the, you know, they have longevity and the you know, the players from other parts of the world have gotten better. You're almost getting to the point where, you know, their guys aren't getting drafted because they're just not, and it's not because they wouldn't have been good 20 years ago, but they're just too many good players now. Too many good and too many good players that like think about if you're a team that um, you know it, you, you use the draft as a way to sort of 
it's kind of a guessing game. Let me go see if I can get um, a a star, a Giannis. What did Giannis get drafted? Fifteenth. Mm-hmm. You know how many? How, Fourteen other teams are like, what were we doing? You know, we we can never have that happen again. And so they go into the everyone's going into the draft with that mindset of like, we can't miss on a Giannis. Um, we can't miss like even Tyler Hero, even Devin Booker. You know, like those guys. What was it? Thirteen, pick thirteen or whatever. Uh, yeah, and heroes. You know, I think he's gonna. He had, end a, up. he had a good bubble. He had a good bubble. Uh, yeah. Jamal Murray. What was he like? Nine or ten? Um, another good bubble he's guy. Got, he played his his. Yeah, but teams are like we can't miss on those dudes, and so they're willing to take a risk with the draft, knowing that there are so many other good players who will go undrafted. That pool is so large that yeah. if they miss, they can go find a guy. You know, Phoenix goes and gets. Tyson Alexander on a two-way, you know, they're, they're like, well, if he doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We didn't spend anything on him, but we think he's actually got a pretty low, like pretty high floor. So we think we know what to expect with him. And, and uh, maybe down the road, he can help us. Like it, the, the, the view of the draft is totally different. And, and it's interesting too, Sam, because I feel like a lot of in college basketball, we use the draft as an evaluator of how teams are doing, how programs are doing. How many draft picks did that team produce? Like, we give credit to Kentucky and Duke for getting their guys in the pros, but it's like that that's that it's just not a it's not a clear evaluator of of where you stand as a college program anymore. And no. it's largely due to the way that NBA teams are evaluating and approaching the draft. Um so that's your right. point about your point about the overload of talent and teams I feel like they, they feel like they can they can take risks because they have uh, security blankets, knowing that they have guys that they can go to if indeed, you know, a young 19-year-old doesn't work out that has been a bench player in college for his only year there or uh, a, a flashy point guard from Europe. You know, like, oh, well, we'll just get this undrafted Fred Van Vliet and he will be a monster. So... Like, yeah, like the, that's, like that's, the Lakers have Alex. Like yeah. Lakers had Alex Caruso on their roster. You know, a dude who didn't, you know, undrafted who kind of had to grind. And but then he found a role, and they were like, "Well, great, we'll add Alex Caruso." There's tons of Alex Carusos out there. So that's where the that's that's what I mean about how I think maybe not even 10, 15 years ago, there's just guys coming out, and it was wise to. I just don't. I, I think. I think kids – now, it's nothing wrong with what – what Tyshawn Alexander did is understandable. He could probably play in Europe or whatever, or he can do what you're talking about. Um, but there's there's some guys that I think, you know, probably should not go. <laughs> probably should stay in college because – and the NIL thing will help, I think, when that finally becomes reality. I think NIL will help keep these kids here because they'll make a little bit of money and it'll be a little bit better life. And, you know, maybe they're not able to do all the things that they were going to do for their family, but they may not be able to do that anyway. You know, I just, it's getting harder and harder for, for, for college players to make that leap to the NBA because it's the most competitive roster spot in men's professional sports. It's just, it's too, it's so competitive. Like you can't, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about, well, just, I mean, Clay Thompson is going to keep his role, I guess, because, he is, but like, does he really does? Like, he's gonna miss two years, and they gotta pay him his money. But I mean, there's no guarantee that Clay, after he comes back from this, is gonna play basketball at a high level again. He's gonna get replaced because it's too competitive. It's just too good. 
And like, I tell this to people like all the time. Cause I don't like Kyrie Irving. I don't like his game. I don't like who he is as a person. I'm like, he's going to be out of the league in five years. You watch like people won't want to put up with him and they'll find somebody who has commensurate skills and he'll be like, all right, here, just go, go away. Like it'll happen. And it happens all the time because the league is too good. There's just too many good players. And you can, you can find, you know, one-on-one hero ballers who will, who will not be a pain in the rear off the court. So like, you know, and he's probably a hall of fame player, but at the same time, it's so hard to keep, to keep your spot in that league uh, because the caliber of play is so high simultaneously. I feel like college is college basketball is going to get better because it's going to keep more of these kids and we're going to get closer to what we used to have. The only difference will be that great college players often used to be great pro players and that won't always be the case as much. Yeah. Right. Um, Well, before we leave, let's, let's talk recruiting real quick because both programs that we cover are kind of in a, they're, they're, they're in a, in a sort of in a positive trend moment. You know, Nebraska has obviously recruited its first five star. We talked a little bit about um, Bryce McGowan's. So, but two other prospects within that recruiting, cl- recruiting class, that's going to be what, like a top 25, top 35 class, maybe top, top 40 class. I don't, I don't know what the recruiting analysts. Certainly it's top 25, but of course you, you can't define that until after April. Right. And, and meanwhile, Creighton is putting together a class that could be one of its best in recent history. They've already got three, members of it uh, Ty Ty Washington a kid out of Arizona combo guard um, playmaker he announced earlier this week that he's committed to Creighton he's a top 100 kid o- honestly according to the recruiting analysts who love his game over the they've been impressed by what he's done in the last few months his stock is going to rise even more from a recruiting ranking standpoint he may end up being the highest rate rate of recruit that Creighton's ever landed um, at this point, he might be at this very moment, um, depending on where you look. So you got him, you pair him with a point guard who's tailor-made for the system and Brian Nemhard and a shooting guard, John Christophilus, who might be a diamond in the rough. We'll see. He seems to have a high floor because he can make jumpers at, at a really consistent high rate. Um, and now the Jays, and they're not done. They're, they're in on Mason Miller. Um, he's decided between Indiana and Creighton that decision could come very soon. Six nine four, the son of Mike Miller. He would have already time. had to sign, right? Right. He would have had if he was going to be in the early signing period. But I don't know. The weird thing about college basketball, Sam, is there haven't been a there traditionally aren't a lot of deep commits. Now, who right. knows what <laughs> this year could bring? But uh, once he makes his decision, seems like it will be pretty firm. Gotcha. And and Creighton hopes that he will pick. Jays because I mean he's another guy that fits their system really well. Six nine guy can shoot, put the ball on the floor. He's got some hops, got some, has the NBA pedigree. So you think what you know? Imagine what he, we the Jays could do sort of with his development and and where he could be um, in a couple years. It's really intriguing. So he'll decide if he if he joins that that adds another obviously four star talent to the recruiting class. And Creighton's still in the hunt for Hunter Salas the five-star uh, combo guard here in Omaha, who's he's down to eight, um, eight mostly blue bloods, and Iowa State and Creighton. And so um, we'll see how long that recruiting process plays out and, and whether or not um, 
the blue blood the blue bloods ultimately win out but uh yeah just want to do so do a quick rundown of where Creighton stood on, on the recruiting on the recruiting scene 2021 had to be a huge class for them so far they've done what they needed to do uh, but again the work's not done so we'll see how the Jays finish it out and uh with Nebraska man I think the one thing that I was curious about um maybe we talked about this last time was how how Nebraska would approach the high school recruiting scene once the coaches got established and once they had an opportunity to figure out all right where do we want to go what kind of program are we and so this class was sort of their first you know first experience with a you know they they were in a lengthy recruiter battle recruiting battle with the kid what is Carter Witt who ended up going to Wake Forest yeah. um but they got their five star and and they got um the the big man out of out of uh, out of the west coast so right Breedenbach. yeah um yeah so like that was what i would that's what i was intrigued about this class because i, I wonder with the transfer model and and the th- the rules are changing and guys are going to be immediately eligible it just seems kind of wild to think that you're going to build your program solely on transfers because the the door is going to be revolving at such a high rate if you do that and, and you're going to have new guys coming into the rotation and not have that year. One of the benefits of this group that sat out last year is they kind of got an idea of what the culture is like. And now it's okay to add one or two pieces, but if you're talking about adding six pieces every year, what? Yeah. But it needed some guys to, to build and develop. And that to me was important with this class and they got it. So they did. Yeah. It's uh they really like Breedenbach who's six, nine and you know, needs to put on a little weight, but if you watch his highlights, one of the best highlights of this guy is actually the highlight package of another player who Josh Christopher, who I think ends is going to Arizona Arizona state. State, Yep. So he played modern day and they basically, it's basically the whole game and Wilhelm's in it a lot, uh, which is good. And he's a high energy guy, big motor, uh, can pass can shoot, uh, can finish at the rim. Um, they just like his skill set. And I think if Fred Hoiberg likes your skill set and believes that you can contribute quickly, I don't think they're looking for like three or four year, like, ah, oh, this guy's going to, you know, he'll be here in four years and it'll be good. I, I, they want you to be pretty quick with your contributions. They want you. And if you're out of high school, that's fine. You know, um, they took They took a developmental guy in Ivan. That they did. Now, now he was 17, and he's gotten a lot better, and he could get a lot better, and he's big. And you need, in the Big Ten, you need a guy like that because, um, again, Luca Garza and whatever. Uh, but anyway, Breedenbach is, is a skilled player, skill big, that they, they really appreciate and like, uh, who's got a big motor, hustles, runs hard, uh, can, can do some nice things. And then uh, Kaishe. Tamanaga is a is probably the best player from Japan right now. Three point shooter, uh, gets his shot off at a lot of different angles. And then there's Bryce McGowan's, who they were going to recruit because Trey McGowan's is on the team. So you get Trey, and you end up getting Bryce too. That was good. Um, and but what's fascinating about the two guys is they're different. Their games are different. So Trey is a is a alpha. He's downhill. He's physical. He's uh, tough. Um, he's a typical older brother. Bryce is a little bit younger, and he's a he's more of a younger brother. 
and he and Trey shaped Bryce's game. He was tough on him growing up. And and that happens sometimes. And so these guys would battle in the yard. And honestly, the, the guy that that sharpened Bryce the most was his older brother. And that's a big piece of why they're good. And their dad played college basketball. Their mom's a high school basketball coach. This is a basketball family. Um, and uh, so they've all kind of sharpened each other. But Bryce's game was sharpened by Trey, so he's got a little bit of toughness on him. Um, but then Bryce grew two more inches, and he's longer, and he's lean. So he is, he is what you want. He's 6'6", he's 175, he's lean as a rail. He's really long. He's very quick. Uh, he's athletic. He's an interesting player. That's just the, the most the best way to put it. I, I wouldn't say that he's a gunner. Uh, I wouldn't describe him as, you know, Andrew Wiggins or something. Like Wiggins like to kind of stay outside a lot and, you know, pick his spots. Um, but I think Bryce can play that kind of defense. But he also is a very, you know, he's a very aggressive player. So he likes having the ball in his hands. Um, he's he's going to drive to the rim a lot. He's going to be an aggressive guy. He can, he can pass it too. Um, but they'll have to, again, he's a really special athlete. And so whenever you get a guy like that, you have to learn and say, okay, how are we going to get this guy? How is he, how is this guy going to become the center of our team? Is he going to become a guy, a complimentary piece to somebody else? And like, everybody can tell how good he is, you know, but he's only averaging, you know, 10 points a game because he's picking his spots or is he going to come in and immediately be like a 17 or 18 point scorer who's doing everything? Um, uh, that'll that'll be the big question when he comes in. I think his game reminds me a little bit of Alec Burks. Remember him? And I'd say there's some similarities to that. But he's not an easy comp. He's not an easy comp. You know, he's not he's not he's not De'Aaron Fox. He's not lightning fast and elegant. Quite that elegant. But he's you know he's got some again. He's he's a long, lean, elegant player who is fast. All the things that they want out of a out of an athlete and he can and he can defend so it's a big deal to land him it will help them the best thing about getting this guy is they have 11 months to recruit off of it so Bryce McGowan is not going to put on a jersey for Nebraska in a game until next November so they can recruit Isaac Trout out of Grand Island for 11 months off of five star that's a pretty good deal yeah and I'm so intrigued to see what, just based on everything that we've said about the Big Ten, college basketball in general, like getting older and teams that, that have success tend to be more experienced, at least over the last couple of years, how the Michigan freshmen, how a guy like Bryce McGowan, like how they do when they step into the, into the, into the, into college basketball and, and can they quickly make that transition to be like go-to guys. Or does it take a little bit of time? We'll find that out. Um, and we'll also find out what kind of recruiting momentum both Nebraska and Creighton can gain off their successes so far. As you mentioned, Sam, uh, if we get a season, obviously both, both programs will be looking to, uh, to use that to their advantage as well. Appreciate your time, man, as always. We'll be back again. Stay safe. You don't soon. have to too fall, so. I will be making some Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, I uh, am ever. I don't know if pecan pies on the menu. I know that's your go-to uh, dessert, but uh, we're buying one. We're buying one from um, the friend, uh, the daughter of our, one of our preschool teachers, who's becoming a baker. 
We're nice. not going to make our own pecan pie. She's going to make it for us. So that'll be the highlight of your day. <laughs> it will. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate everybody listening and watching. We'll be back again soon to talk some uh, Husker and, and Jay's hoops. Thanks.